There's been lots of heavy breathing over generative AI, and for good reason. The landscape we were familiar with just a few months ago has seemingly been shaken, and wherever this all may be heading, it seems like there's no turning back. Pick a landscape, or a field, or a whatever, it's likely being upended or has the potential to be upended by the AI technology. One particular space that's experiencing a seismic shift is, of course, cybersecurity. Generative AI to cybersecurity is akin to something maybe like microwave energy to frozen food. I'm speaking metaphorically here rather than scientifically. I, I don't really know. Maybe that lands, maybe it doesn't. Let's call it supercharged scalability. And on the cybersecurity front, we're seeing some of generative AI's potential for both defenders and attackers. While ChatGPT and other tools can be powerful forces for good, they've also unleashed a tsunami of attacker innovation from creating malware to pinpointing and easily exploiting hidden vulnerabilities to cloning voices for deepfake phishing attacks. In fact, CyberArk's latest research found that 93% of security professionals expect AI-enabled threats to affect their organization in 2023. It's true that attackers are constantly innovating, yet compromising identities remains the most effective way to circumvent cyber defenses and access sensitive data and assets, making this yet another compelling reason why organizations need to better protect identities. As you'll hear today's guest explain it, generative AI is changing the threat landscape and it's learning and improving fast. Our guest today is Levi Lazarevitz, who's Vice President of Cyber Research at CyberArk Labs. That could be an AI-enhanced way of saying he heads up our cyber research team. The team itself is comprised of an elite group of white hat hackers, intelligence experts, and cybersecurity practitioners. And I talk with Levi about generative AI and various offensive AI attack scenarios and how it's impacting the overall threat landscape and enabling attacker innovation and what it all means for cyber defenders and protectors. So let's get to it before Generative AI releases an alternate version of this episode. That one land? Here's my conversation with Levi Lazarevitz. Welcome back to Trust Issues, Levi. Um, I recently heard this question on another podcast and thought it was interestingly phrased, if a bit awkward. Where does this podcast find you today? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm currently at the uh, CyberArk uh, headquarters in in Israel at the fifth floor where we have CyberArk Labs. After a long day, we discussed a few of our uh, recent research projects with the team. We have done a few retros about our security research that, that we've done. What we learned from them. Um, um, I had lunch. Very late. Yeah. Because of these meetings. All right. So this is where I am at now. <laughs> well, as we record this podcast, we're somewhat fresh off our own CyberArk Impact 23 conference in Boston. And one of the highlights, without a doubt, was your keynote on offensive AI, which is what we're here to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Surprise. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but before we dive into that, though, um, we last spoke to you here about a year ago, last July, in fact, uh, episode seven, um, when we didn't know what we were doing. And we, we talked about cyber attack cycle deconstruction. So as a refresher, 
you head up our CyberArk Lab, our CyberArk Labs team in Israel. Um, and what what is CyberArk Labs, and and what's your role? So CyberArk Labs is a unit within within CyberArk, and our main mission is to represent the attacker for for CyberArk. And we represent the attacker for our product teams when we are building new security line of defenses and features. We represent the attacker perspective um, when it comes to uh, thought leadership, try to um, foresee how threats will will evolve, uh, try to foresee how um, threats will materialize in, 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 the, in the near future, and take that and try to think about the next type of defense or... or Things we can do within within our cyber product to protect organizations better, to protect identities better. Uh, so this is this is our mission statement. Our whole focus within uh, within the research side. I have actually a few few roles in that as as a, as a head of, of of the research team. The first role is to direct the research into the right places. Uh, focus on um, on whether on new technologies or new authentication protocols is. is is to make sure that we are on the right track in terms of research. This, my second role is uh, a bit of what we're doing here is storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. um, bridging the gap between the most technical research that we're doing into how that connects to what we do every day. Um, try to tell the story not only within Cyborg, but externally with the security community. So storytelling is a... Uh, yeah, has a significant part uh, in in my role. Interesting. And uh, the third one is the uh, you know is the, is the objectives. Uh, try to um, you know uh, manage and make sure that we are hitting the the impact. This is how we call it within Cyber Lab, the impact that we are creating based on our research. It's a very cool job. You you play the attacker. Your team essentially plays the attacker. I've also heard you say you know the unofficial mission is is to break things. What does that mean in the context? Of- I think that uh, one of the things that we are trying to do when uh, a new emerging technology comes, um, like uh, biometric authentication uh, a few years ago, or containers uh, also a few years back, is try to map the threat, the attack surface. Uh, and uh, you do that with, with, with just with trying to break it, escape the container, uh, try to bypass authentication, uh, break break the protocol. This is how we learn a lot about the technology and the related attack surfaces. Very cool. So, needless to say, it's like a twenty hour a week job and very relaxing. <laughs> yeah, you probably uh, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's obviously completely the opposite. And to be completely honest, in many cases, it's uh, it's frustrating a lot. Because you're looking, you, you're going down rabbit holes. Um, you're, you know that you have something, but you can't uh, exploit it, and it takes so much time. You know, it, it's the research process isn't something that you see immediate value of. Well, you guys do do really you do really interesting work. And uh, as an aside, which I highly doubt will make the cut here, but but who knows? It could be gold. You mentioned rabbit holes, going down rabbit holes. I actually, in the last couple of days, for the first time, actually really thought about what a rabbit hole is because right outside my window over there, I have a very dumb, fat rabbit that uh, <laughs> refuses to go away. <laughs> and I, I checked out its hole and I was really amazed at how small this thing is and how fat this bunny is and how it actually gets <laughs> into the hole. And it's going to be really, really bummed out when uh, so we planted grass like about five, six weeks ago. And as soon as I open up the the like the the barrier, which is going to be tomorrow, 
my dog is probably going to be um, really <laughs> telling that bunny to uh, find another home. <laughs> Big aside. <laughs> Good luck with that rabbit hole then. Thank you very much. It is the dumbest, fattest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, now moving back to the main course, AI. Um, it probably goes without saying, but there's pretty much nonstop talk about a AI these days. And we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast too. We first talked about it in an episode earlier this year when we had a guy from your team on the podcast, uh, Ron Shimini, who successfully got chat GPT to create polymorphic malware. Something I've been curious about is why is there so much buzz about AI now? Generative AI has been around for several years. What's changed? So the short answer for that is, is simply scale. Uh, you're absolutely right to say that the, those models have been around for, for quite a while. But what happened just recently is just the number of parameters those models can digest to create a very accurate and comprehensive uh, answers to our, to our uh, prompt. This, this is what happened. And just to, to, to give you a sense, and I also discussed at my recent uh, Impact keynote, is that um, uh, GPT-2 was based on uh, 1.5 billion parameters. GPT-3 okay. that came out two years later uh, was based on 175 billion parameters. Mm. Those numbers are, are just you know, re remarkable. And this very steep curve in, in the volume here, in the number of parameters, as, as an example, made the change and the, the quality came, came with it. Um, and, 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 and this is what we see today. Uh, I should also mention here that it's, it's not only about the numbers here. There's a lot behind those, uh, those models and numbers, a lot, a lot of uh, tricks and new, brilliant, innovative ideas as to how to process this data, um, how to tag it, um, the algorithms behind it. So there's a lot of work that uh, is hiding behind this number, but the, but the bottom line here is scale. Okay. And have you been keeping a watchful eye on AI for the last number of years, or is this something that's kind of, you know, flown into your radar in the last six months, like with everybody else collectively? Well, I'll tell you this, that a few, I think it was two years ago, we started looking into um, biometric authentication and more specifically face recognition. Um, and uh, we looked into Windows LO, how it is implemented, how you could uh, potentially bypass it. We also released the research about that on how an attacker with physical access to, to, to your machine, the victim's machine, can connect a device and then have this device inject images or the um, uh, processed images that, that you got from uh, for, from Facebook, for example, uh, and inject those into the authentication process and, and in this way get access to, to the machine. But one of the things that we, uh, we had to handle back then is the fact that uh, biometric authentication, and more specifically Windows LO, requires the infrared image of the victim to get authenticated. It processes the, the infrared image. Now, how you can get access to infrared image of, of your victim? So one way is to take a picture of, uh, of the image with an IR camera. The other way is, you know, download a face, uh, a, a, an image from Facebook and then use AI model to transform this image to look like an IR image. Uh, so we played a little, just, uh, you know, a little bit and we, we, we tested it 
uh, and it had a lot of a lot of issues. Uh, we got we got an IR image, but it wasn't quite quite right. But I think that there, there was uh, about two years ago was the, the last the major research that we've done that had the AI aspect in it. Mm, okay, how has this supercharged scalability? of uh, generative AI change the way that threat actors operate and what are they targeting? So we, we understood several things, you know, looking into uh, the recent gen- generative AI trend and, and our analysis. And we understand that generative AI nowadays, that it's, it is very uh, accessible, accurate, and, and, and is getting better. They can be using it for bypassing authentication to create a more trusted or more believable uh, phishing um, campaigns. So we, we tend to think that the, that the threat actors will use generative AI in the early stages of the matrix that lists the different attack techniques across the attack chain. We think that generative AI will be used there. Um, we have seen already evidence um, of, of such activity, but it's not um, something that is common. We expect it to be very, very common of threat actor using generative AI to, to generate malware, to bypass authentication and so on. I guess that, that sort of is a great segue into thinking about these common attack tactics and sequences. And at what stage is AI making the biggest impact? So based, based on our analysis, um, what we have seen already, and what we expect, um, what we expect to see in the near future, is generative AI um, having an impact on the first stage in the attack matrix, which is reconnaissance. Generative AI, and 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 maybe I can say here more specifically AI technology and machine learning technology, um, and as it becomes better, will make it easier. For both uh, red teams, blue teams, threat actors, uh, legitimate actors, to find vulnerability patterns, mm-hmm. um, um, those models become better, and finding uh, patterns and variant of of uh, vulnerability patterns will be something that will, will happen in more more effectively. And we expect that to have an impact on how well we can find vulnerabilities again from the blue side and the red side. Um, another tactic that we can expect. To be influenced by by that is uh, resource development and malware development. Um, generative AI has been used, uh, and Chet, even ChatGPT, which is not a you know a model that was intended to be used to, to create code, but it can. Right. Uh, we, we've we've seen that uh, we've seen this uh, model used to to create code, and uh, and even malware. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also experimented with on, with, within uh, the CyberArk Labs to create malware, to create polymorphic malware. We'll, we'll talk about that soon. So malware development is definitely something we, we should we should expect uh, being influenced by generative AI. And the last one, the, the last attack technique that, um, or tactic that I, that I think we'll see significant influence by by generative AI is initial access. Initial access um, is a stage where threat actors get initial initial foothold. On, on an endpoint or a server. Um, and one of the most common attack techniques is listed under initial access, which is phishing. And generative AI opens a new world of, um, of phishing, for, for example, the voice mm-hmm. version of phishing, sending messages that are voice-based. Generative AI now can be used you know, to, to deepfake other, other voices. It it's, uh, uh, op- opens a world that uh, we can expect to see more in the wild uh, threat landscape. 
And, and at, at our impact conference in, in Boston, you had an interesting uh, part of your presentation where you you threw up an example of a uh, a vishing attack in the in the form of a, a message from our from our chairman uh, Udi Makati. And um, you know, it was still a little bit a little bit primitive, but probably not far off from being completely believable. Uh, you know, how far away are we from um, from that? To be honest, I think that if uh, if I would get such a message in the right context, it will be very difficult for me to differentiate uh, or, or feel there is something different here, and it might be uh, not a genuine voice. S- such an attack requires uh, a lot of uh, context and a lot of uh, preparation, because sending a, just a message out of the blue from an unknown number from someone uh, that usually doesn't send you voice messages immediately raises uh, raises alarms. The attack that we demonstrated was you know, was tailor-made and we had the background information. Back at, back at Impact, I, uh, I mentioned, uh, generated Udi's voice saying that uh, he needs the recent research reports and uh, he will see me soon at Impact. So there was a lot of trust-grading context right. uh, that, that, that might not be available uh, upfront for, for all threat actors. Right. So... We, I think that the voice aspect, the technical aspect, is at least to me, to to my uh, maybe not not so good ear, it's it's sufficient. The context and the overhead that creates the um, the, the context for for the attack is not something something that trivial uh, to to create. Uh, but we can definitely expect um, such campaign to be to become more common or to become available for threat actors because there is a dark web with tons of PII information that can be used to create that context. We share a lot of information on social media, can be used to create that to, to create that context. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that that, that soon we'll, we'll see that uh, these elements come together to create mass campaigns or even target targeted campaigns that, that rely on that uh, type of uh, vishing attack. And, and that's obviously pretty scary, considering you know those of us who are who are in this field and 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 folks who are just generally aware of cyber hygiene, I think have gotten decent in being able to spot like a phishing email, for example. You know, you look for grammatical errors, you check the email address, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're actually getting a a vishing attack and it's believable and the the voice sounds right. And it's from your executive chairman, and the executive chairman is asking for the TPS reports immediately to, you know, cite the movie Office Space. Um, how how is somebody going to be able to differentiate between something that's real and not? And and how are we going to get to the point where are we going to have to second guess everything that we potentially receive? So uh, to be to be honest, it's it's go, it's going to be tough, and um, eventually. Many machine learning and AI experts predict that it will be practically impossible to differentiate between AI-generated audio images, text, and so on from human-created one. So I think that the key here will be, like we like we are doing today with the, with the phishing emails, is to look at the indications around it. Uh, from what number you're getting the message, uh, if the channel used, whether it's a WhatsApp or Teams or Slack or and so on, is the one usually used. Mm-hmm. The tone, maybe even 
the phrasing or the wording of the message. Right. So we'll have to, we have to look at the indication uh, around that. And I, I'm, I, I have to say that it seems that it won't be a balanced equation here, looking at it from the AI perspective. You know, AI generative malicious activity and AI from the defensive side. It might not be the case. Uh, it might be the case that the defensive side uh, will use other means to uh, defeat or to mitigate or defend against this 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 type of attacks. And I can say, you know, that below all of that, that our identity uh, is the one that, uh, that that will need to be protected better and the new line of defenses that the uh, organization will need to create should focus on the identity perspective here because eventually, you know, looking at the attack metrics and considering all those development uh, from the threat landscape, eventually those lead to the identities that allow threat actors access to our bank account, to our uh, corporate uh, applications or assets and so on. Look at that. It all it all ties back to identity. Exactly. Which uh makes it uh pretty apropos that we're that we're discussing this topic right now. As a related question, are there areas AI can't really help attackers with? Those three early attack stages that include reconnaissance, malware development, initial initial access, are the one we, we, we can expect to see influenced by generative AI. We at CyberArk Labs, we also looked at uh, a polymorphic malware, and maybe we can talk about a little bit now, mm-hmm. that might might have an influence on a later stage, the um, defense evasion tactic that appears later on in the attack metrics. And the, and the polymorphic malware is, is eventually a malware that mutates its code without actually mutating the functionality. And up until recently... Polymorphic malware was considered polymorphic if it had a different type of encryption or it used different encryption keys to encrypt the malware, making it a little bit different for a security agent, which made it more difficult to identify the the specific malware. But now generative AI allows threat actors to create malware that actually mutates. The code looks differently. The implication of it is on detection, on uh, uh, mitigation of, of those malwares. You know, you identify the malware, you know it's malicious, you, you stop it. Now, if it changes all the time, it makes it um, very, very flexible and allows it to uh, evade detection. Uh, so this is another stage that we, we've looked into uh, in, in CyberArk Labs with the concept of polymorphic malware and how it can actually be implemented. When thinking about all these things that are going on with AI, what are the risks to organizations and what can be done to get out in front of that development from a defensive standpoint? So the, the, I think there are a couple of things that we can say about the defensive perspective. The first thing is that the tactics that are related to uh, escalation of privileges or lateral movement still rely on this brick, which is identity. Threat actors and we see it in all the recent uh, breaches, breach reports, and even malware operations, rely on those credentials and the uh, permissions to get access to other servers or to the assets. So creating a, a comprehensive line of defense around it is still uh, a critical line of defense to, to mitigate the evolving threat landscape that we see out there that will be influenced more and more by generative AI. The other aspect that is super interesting to to consider 
is uh, being malware agnostic or the malware agnostic approach defenses uh, are critical here. Because we see that, for example, generative AI can create polymorphic malware that will be more flexible. They will be uh, changing a lot and uh, adapting to, to the environment to better evade detection. So being malware agnostic is a critical element considering the evolving threat landscape and the influence of, of generative AI. I think those two main aspects, the identity security and malware agnostic aspects, are critical for um, effective line of defense. So what can organizations do now to, I don't even know if it's get out in front of this or not, because it's it's here, but what can organizations do now? The first thing to do is consider what identity security controls organizations currently have and make sure that those are reinforced with uh, preventive controls and uh, monitoring controls. Uh, so on, on one hand, you have, uh, for example, conditional access. Uh, when someone, whether uh, an employee or a threat actor, attempts to access sensitive asset, if that is not how uh, the organization usually works, and you pop up an, an MFA or you restrict access from a specific uh, set of IPs within the organization, that will already put the organization in a, in a better place in terms of um, handling the evolving threat landscape. The other aspect of it is monitoring and reacting and being able to identify whether human or machines are doing within the organization is critical to uh, being able to identify when malicious activity is taking place. To your question, I, I would start with these two points as a baseline for you know, uh, future developments on the defensive perspective and building an effective line of defense that is also effective against this new generative AI threat landscape. So there are tools out there where you can cut and paste a piece of text into the tool and it will give you a readout of how much it's been generated by ChatGPT, for example. Um, don't know how accurate they are or not, but it's definitely somewhat eye-opening and, and interesting. Could we be at some point looking at some sort of a tool or solution that's running in the background on systems where it will automatically check for AI-generated attacks, essentially? If the input would be a certain type of code or, or activity, a bunch of, uh, of logs, for example, it, it could work. I think at least it could work in the near future. In the near future where AI will be good, but not good enough to evade AI-based detections. What I'm trying to get at is that maybe nowadays, generative AI will create a, uh, a straightforward, naive code that will be more trivial to detect with other AI tools. But if you look forward, and I, I think that we're, we're talking about two years from now, three years from now, it will become less and less effective. And, and this is the generative AI part and the uh, malware aspect. If you're talking about logs and uh, trying to identify malicious activity within logs and letting generative AI try to classify a set of logs, whether they indicate a, a legitimate activity or malicious activity, uh, I tend to think that AI will, will definitely have an impact there and it will definitely help defenders identify malicious activity. But uh, to be honest, there is a question mark here, at least to me, because I remember the last machine learning hype that happened about you know three, four, five years ago, maybe more. Um, there, there was a huge hype around machine learning and how it would be able to uh, identify malicious activity and 
uh, be used in the, in the threat uh, detection technologies. But the, the reality was much more complicated. Um, the, the amount of false positive just grew a lot. The, the, the technology changed so much. We, we are seeing it from the identity perspective. We see so much services and applications out there, containers, uh, serverless functions, and so on, that, that looks very differently uh, when you're looking, looking at code, when you're looking at the logs. I'm sure that um, AI and the development in that area will create innovation around that, around detection of malicious activity. But uh, I do have a question mark there as to how fast and, and maybe if it will be effective in really creating a, uh, a good uh, signal-to-noise ratio where you can really rely on it to detect malicious activity. In your impact keynote, you talked about a study by threat researchers from Tel Aviv University that used generative AI to bypass facial recognition. How did they do that? And what has CyberArk Labs done related to AI and biometric authentication? I think you, you already hinted a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've done, the researchers in another university had uh, um, a, a brilliant idea. I, I loved it. They, they thought, you know, they asked themselves whether it is possible to use a generative AI model to create a master face that can be used to uh, authenticate against uh, um, all faces out there. It's like one face that can unlock anything? Exactly. Interesting. That was their, their question. They researched this, uh, tried to answer this uh, this question, and they came out with a, a generative AI model called uh, GANS, uh, Generative Adversarial Networks. Okay. And it's a bit different than what we know with um, uh, MidJourney model, for example, that takes text and turns it into, into an image. The GANS model actually creates a vector, you know, a set of, of, of characteristics of an image, and then tweaks it just a bit to adjust, uh, to adjust the image. And then they compare the image against a database of image vectors, and they learned how close this vector was to other image vectors. They done this iterative process until eventually they got a set of nine images, so not, not one, but nine images, that matched... Um, more than 60% of images they had in their, in their database. When I read it, I, I thought that this, this is remarkable because this actually means, although this is a theoretical research, this means that this master key, master face attack vector is, is viable. You, you can do it. As I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the graph scale is super steep. Um, the models become better and better. Probably we're able to create in the near future, um, images will match more than 60%, you know, 70, 80% of the images are. So those nine faces could unlock 60% of anything requiring some sort of facial recognition. Exactly. Whoops. That's a huge problem. Exactly. That's incredible. And, and we, in CyberArk Labs, we thought, okay, how this actually can be, be used by threat actors, how it, would, how it would look like. We say, okay, here we are taking the set of images that uh, we can create using this GANS model. We embed that on, on our device um, that we connect to our, to our victim machines and use our device to, to shoot those uh, image vectors to Windows Hello. And we actually were able to show, and I demonstrated this in, in the recent impact event, 
how we are just getting access to, to our victim's machine using it. I do expect a, a development or evolution on both, on both sides. Models become better and those models will create better images. On the other hand, I know that there's a lot of work done on improving uh, face recognition and biometric authentication. Those, those two curves go, go up. Uh, there will be friction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I should say that if, if folks want to see this in action, and read more about all of this, they can check out your blog on the CyberArk blog post called Analyzing Three Offensive AI Attack Scenarios. So you successfully do that. Now what? What do you do with that? After you have those images in hand and you can use those to um, bypass authentication and get access to a victim device, this is a game over. Mm-hmm. Now we are talking about a specific attacker scenario where the attacker has access to our victim machine, physical access. But as soon as we get access, this is a game over. And and one thing that will also be, become available soon is, for example, RDP, uh, Remote Desktop Connections, that use Windows Hello and face recognition authentication, for example. So with that enabled, you know, a victim that uh, or a server that allows um, Remote Desktop using uh, face recognition authentication can be accessed now by threat actors with this capability of bypassing face recognition authentication. with those uh, faces, those master faces, and, and the right device in hand. Really, really fascinating stuff. Let's turn things around now. Can you share some examples of ways AI is helping the good guys combat AI-based threats? So one thing that we, one thing that we, start, we started seeing is uh, generative AI used, for example, to uh, rely on the intelligence of many organizations out there to create a tailor-made policy for every organization. So, you know, just, just imagine this. You have your security controls, whether CyberArk, whether uh, those are not CyberArk. You have your default policy. You get it out of the box. Now you work hours, days, weeks, months to tweak that policy to fit to your needs, to the applications that you run within your own organizations, to how you use those applications, to the permissions that you need your users, business users, or admins to have. That's, uh, that's a lot of investment. Now, generative AI brings the opportunity to tailor made the default policy to you based on many policies out there and many tweaks and uh, adjustments that other organization has done to, to, to that policy to fit to their needs. Now you can use generative AI to just create this policy for you. And I think that it is uh, just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the opportunities generative AI brings to, to defenders, but adapting security policies, which I know the security teams invest a lot in, uh, might become much more uh, easy to do. Technology is constantly changing and attackers are constantly innovating. How do cybersecurity practices and tools need to evolve to keep pace? I touched on it a little earlier in, in our discussion when we talked about the reconnaissance and how AI, well, not necessarily generative, but AI can be used to uh, identify vulnerability patterns. And uh, for security researchers, for, for security practitioners, this is also an opportunity, a big opportunity, um, because those models can be used to um, identify hundreds and maybe thousands of, of security issues well before 
they are uh, deployed in the wild uh, production and raising the bar a lot uh, for for threat actors that that also have access to to those uh, AI tools. So one thing that um, that I'm sure, and I know that in in Cyber Art Labs we are also looking into, is um, boosting our, our tools with AI capabilities that will push our return on investment in terms of uh, times versus uh, issues, vulnerabilities uh, that, that we find. So this is just you know one example that uh, that we are busy with. Interesting. Thank thank you for that. To wrap things up here. When we talk to you here again a year from now, and I hope we talk to you sooner than that, but let's say it's a year from now, what do you think we'll be talking about when it comes to generative AI? And if you were to look back to this time last year, what would surprise you most about the sort of popular or public emergence of this technology or boom, or boom really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think that a year from now, We'll talk about the explosive innovation that happened during during the, that last year. Uh, it will be in the security realm for threat actors and defenders, and will be in other realms and domains uh, as well. We, we we see we see it now, and I'm sure we'll keep seeing it. Um, as to what would be surprise uh, for me, a surprise for me, I think that um, a year from now, if we won't hear about how AI was leveraged in uh, a, at least one or two security uh, incidents or breaches, it it would definitely surprise me. I think that it, it is coming and it's coming fast. Uh, I'd be surprised if we won't hear about that. How is AI changing the threat landscape and driving attacker innovation? Generative AI is changing the, the threat landscape and driving innovation uh, by allowing threat actors to be more effective when it comes to finding vulnerabilities, generating malware, and and bypassing authentication. By, for example, allowing threat actors to uh, create a phishing campaign, a voice version of uh, phishing, to uh, create a sense of trust in their victim. So, for example, at at Impact Boston on stage, I demonstrated how uh, Udi's Mukadi's voice can be deepfake recreated, asking me to share sensitive recent uh, research reports that create a sense of trust. And this just a small example of how uh, generative AI can be used to create a new uh, domains or new channels and create a sense of trust in in, uh, in their victims. So a new or renewed attack vector based on generative AI. Levi Lazarovitz. The real Levi Lazarovitz, thanks so much for coming <laughs> back on the Trust Issues. It's been been really eye-opening and interesting as always. Uh, it's always a pleasure, David. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trust Issues. If you like this episode, please check out our back catalog for more conversations with cyber defenders and protectors. And don't miss new episodes. Make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcasts. And let's see. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, drop us a line if you feel so inclined. Questions, comments, suggestions, which come to think of it are kind of like comments. Our email address is trustissues, all one word, at cyberarc.com. See you next time.